I think there's no chance in the world that Linda Yaccarino left a very nice job at Comcast to be the CEO of X. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, July 31st. Today, on Media Monday, saying goodbye to the little blue bird. John Kelly and I discuss Elon Musk rebranding Twitter to X. Can the troubled company become the all-in-one commerce platform that Musk has always dreamed of? Or is this just another self-inflicted wound from the mercurial billionaire? And John and I also dig into the newsroom frustration at The Messenger, the fledgling media startup that's testing whether hard news and clickbait can coexist in peace. We'll talk about all that and much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to the powers that be. It is the last day of July. Get ready for August. It's Leo season. It's my birthday month. I'm joined today by John Kelly for Media Monday. How are you, buddy? I'm all right, man. I, um, I'm taking to heart all the, the user feedback that says we just want media. We don't want uh, any sports commentary from you bro-y old millennials or, or Gen, Gen Xers, whatever we are. Some people make hating sports their entire personality. Um, so, okay, we won't talk about Joe Burrow's calf strain. Uh, okay, let's instead talk about X, which is the slapdash rebrand for Twitter. According to Elon Musk, he wants to make Twitter eventually sort of a an all-in-one marketplace, kind of in the mold of WeChat, where you can go on Twitter and, you know, you can send money and you can buy things and you can chat and you can watch video, etc. Twitter, if you go to Twitter.com, I'm doing this on my desktop right now. It's still called Twitter.com. It's still called Twitter and Google search. But the logo has changed. Twitter is now X. Um, this just, to me, John, adds another layer of confusion on top of what Twitter is supposed to be. However, it's not necessarily stopping me from coming back. What do you think about this whole rebrand roadmap that Elon is rolling out? You know, I, I certainly learned a lot about his fascination with the notion of a company called X. You know, the, the night that this was announced was one of the few nights that I, I went on Twitter because I was just curious what this evolution was going to look like. And there was Walter Isaacson, you know, who's um, getting in on the action before his, his new biography of mm -hmm. Elon Musk comes out. And if and a few other sort of Elonologists, including Max Chafkin, who I think wrote a book about Peter Thiel, another PayPal Mafia contingent member. And they were talking about how even back in those days of your decades ago, Musk, you know, he wanted to rename PayPal X. Mm -hmm. X itself is a, is a company name in search of a company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was this narrative that uh, seemed to spawn very quickly that, that this was the idea all along. You know, Musk bought Twitter because he, his, his X fantasies were, were acting out, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that's nonsense, obviously, because he tried to not buy Twitter after making the $44 billion offer. Then he tried to, un, you know, to, to get out of it every way possible. The only reason why he ended up, you know, with the, the company was because he knew that a, a Delaware Chancery Court was going to force the sale to go through. So he just kind of gave up and, and, and capitulated and accepted it. So I think the X came from the notion that he developed on the fly. You know, the only thing he could do with this company, which had lost two thirds of its value in nine months, was to make it the platform for this everything store that was the seed of some future ambition. I have to tell you, I think there's no chance in the world that Linda Yaccarino left a very nice job at Comcast mm. to be the CEO of X. I do not think that she was told, oh, it's going to be X. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe she was looped in very quickly soon thereafter. So I think that's a sort of fantasy story that has emerged. But all that said, it's interesting. You know, it, it's interesting if he's pivoting from kind of unintentionally destroying Twitter to now actually very intentionally destroying Twitter and saying, hey, I, all I really care about here is the fact that we have these hundreds of millions of, of active users who are mm -hmm. already on this platform expressing themselves. Now they're going to be given all kinds of other commercial opportunities there. But that said, like, if, if we're going to have any super app in this country, in this market, in this world, sure seems like Uber is a lot closer to it than X is. And um, those guys are pretty formidable com competitors. Yeah, especially on the commerce front. I mean, Instagram maybe as well. But that brings up an important point, which is the thing that annoys me about this, like I'm done being annoyed with Twitter. Twitter for me, as you know, as I've said many times, has been annoying to me for a decade. <laughs> and now it's just becoming even more annoying. But Musk's evangelism about becoming an all-in-one app and his he sort of presents this idea as if it's a new thing and it's just not i mean like meta lets you send money over messenger tiktok is launching e-commerce snap like when we started uh, at snapchat like there was a cash payment system embedded in that instagram obviously has a ton of direct-to-consumer like business brands i literally bought pair of shorts off Instagram targeting yesterday uh, and you can do it in the app. But yeah, like Uber is the place to go for, you know, if you want groceries or convenience store or pharmacy stuff and they just continue yep. to add services on a core use case for the platform, which gets to another point. It's really hard with so many incumbent platforms and apps and social media networks to like reverse engineer the singular use case for your platform. In Twitter's case, I know you can use it for video. I know they have spaces. The core use case of Twitter is literally is typing text into a box and hitting post and hitting send. Maybe a picture, maybe a video. And like, that's what it is. And like, it's really hard to get consumers to change that fundamental behavior. Twitter tried back in 2015 to get into like, sort of curating stories around user-generated mm -hmm. content, which is something that we were doing at Snapchat at the time. And like people didn't want it. They wanted to type text into a box. And like that, it, I just don't see your normie person suddenly like downloading X, creating an account and using it for commerce or, you know, wire transfers or crypto. It's hard to do that. And like, unlike China, where you have like these like really big, big, big apps like there's not that many of them here. You have like so many different apps for a bunch of discrete use cases. Yeah, they're, they're in the race for the everything app. 
I don't think there are going to be a lot of second place finishers. You know, can you think of another, uh, but seriously, can you, can you think of another Amazon? No, of course not. Because right. if you're going to spend at that level in order to, to scale at that speed, you have to be the market winner or else you're so unprofitable that the, you know, that all the investment will, will, will shift to the competitor. There are some many winner takes it markets. There are some winner take all markets. And then there are some in between. This is probably, I think, close to a winner take all market. Mm. I would surmise. You know, it's funny. If you talk to people who knew Travis Kalanick back in the day, mm. he was directed towards this. I mean, we're kind of going through this cultural shift in how we look at a company like Uber, but Amazon happened to randomly begin its journey into the world by selling books, right? Um, uh-huh. that, which is, I think, romantically people remember that. But, but if I asked my kids, you know, how they think of Amazon, they have no idea that that's that that's how it started. Uber, you know, began its journey to being the logistics company of the 21st century by having a, a black town car service at like the Telluride Film Festival. But <laughs> but Travis did know way back when that he wanted to be everywhere. I think Elon has long fantasized about the everything app. You've you've heard, you know, our our pals on Pivot, Karen Scott, talk about it. But he lost ten years to a competitor to to do so, and I don't know if you can make that back. Forget like the the consumer base who's on Twitter now that, that may not that may not want to participate in this every in this everything app concept. But the people who work at the company did not join because they wanted to work at a everything at a, at a singular app. They did it because they you know, they wanted to follow the higher calling of Twitter for uh, whatever reason they may have had. Well, I can't wait to talk about all of this with you on threads uh, later today where we're just yeah, going right. to go because everyone's going to threads. Just kidding. You called it, threads. dude. No, you called it. You, you deserve credit for this. I think when everyone was losing their minds over this, you know, 150 users and, you know, signups in the first week, you were very, very um, prescient in saying, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's a superior product. The action's still on Twitter. And you were right, buddy. Yeah. The attrition is real. I mean, yeah, I just, and I wrote about this for Puck and and the powers that be last Monday, but I was watching soccer, I was watching the World Cup and watching Messi a little bit on my, on my phone for his debut in Miami. And like, yeah, I and millions of other sports fans who are on Twitter have been going to Twitter for sports highlights and sports updates, kind of like news for a decade. And like, they're not, no one's first touch is threads over Twitter, unless you're like a huge anti-Elon person and there's just not enough anti-elon sentiment in the human population to (laughs) sustain an entire app anyway i want to take a quick break and when we come back i want to talk about the drama at the messenger Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug 
for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Welcome back to Media Monday on the Powers That Be, everybody. We're talking about The Messenger, and you know, you'd be forgiven for not knowing what this is, mm. but in media circles, this got a lot of attention. It was, I believe, a DC-based newsroom. Mm -hmm. The company is founded by Jimmy Finkelstein, who used to own The Hill and The Hollywood Reporter, raised a ton of money, including from Josh Harris, the new uh, owner of The Commanders, hired a lot of journalists, a lot of political journalists from like CNN, Politico, and did so with the promise of sort of like two promises, one to the public and to readers that news is biased and broken and we're going to be straight down the middle, unbiased, just the facts news. And then from the business side, it was going to be sort of like the hill and people listening know if you type in any topic or news story into Google search, for example, search engine optimization, SEO will turn up links from the hill. Right. So like unlike Puck, where we are subscriber focused and like dialed in on who our audience is, the Hill is like Yahoo News. It's like for everybody. It's for the masses. And the goal would be to run a bunch of fair, unbiased stories. Some might say clickbait and run advertising against it and, and hopefully, you know, pay off that big investment from all those investors. Anyway, long story short, John. It seems like things have been a little tumultuous in the newsroom there. The Daily Beast, I believe, reported that Dan Wakeford, the site's editor-in-chief, is sort of giving day-to-day -day operations in the newsroom over to deputy editor Michelle Gothelf. And people are leaving. People have quit. People working there apparently are a little frustrated with the kind of journalism that's being conducted. You've been following the story a little closer than I have, uh, in part because you know Jimmy from back in the day, but what's going on over there just as a refresh for the audience? This item that Lachlan Cartwright published in the Daily Beast in his Confider newsletter, which we, we certainly enjoy, uh, painted a picture maybe a little dramatically of uh, an editor who, who seemed kind of removed from his newsroom and a newsroom that seemed kind of uppity about what its purpose was. And there's been plenty of news about The Messenger, this uh, company that seems kind of pushed into the world very quickly mm -hmm. and how it hasn't, this is not the debut that they wanted. And I think what, what has stunned a lot of people is that this seems like a media company that Jimmy Finkelstein and Richard Mad Dog Beckman wanted to create more than there was a, a necessarily a, an audience that was thirsting for it, for this kind of um, yeah. center right-ish uh, broad-based content, which, you know, I think is easily um, surveyable on the Daily Mail, parts of Yahoo, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you probably, you know, some of Insider uh, satisfies this. But what's been really interesting, and this is, you know, I think one of the reasons I've been very curious about it is obviously it's it's in a adjacent lane to what we do here at, here at Puck. Been interesting is, is the, the strategy is so retro that it's 
been stunning. You know, they they literally have hired experts in SEO, as you were just talking about a moment ago, who are people who are trying to game the platforms. And, and I'll give you just like, without being long in the tooth, let me just give you like a very brief history of this kind of media over the last 20 years. Once upon a time, there were really, really strong brands that stood for things. Newspapers and magazines were in some cases like you know, along with fashion companies, like the original sophisticated brands, you knew what they were, you knew what, you know, you, you would know what separated L decor from town and country. I mean, like, that's actually a pretty astonishing thing in the culture that, that there was such precise consumer sentiment about these things. Then, of course, when the platforms emerged, these brands were all too small, they all knew that. So they all created way more content than anyone ever wanted from them. And because they created more content than anyone wanted from them, they all created the same content. You know, they all created the same poop cruise, a million tips, you know, kind of like uh, urged on by the by the bad behaviors of BuzzFeed and, and others. And they all lost their identities, all. They're, now they're, they're running out of time. This is, and this, by the way, is what's going to happen to cable companies in the future. Like this is the exact mm-hmm. paradigm that, that's going to follow. They went from being small and precious to, to big and meaningless. And then at the time that, you know, we actually kind of realized, oh, there, there is a more sustainable model. It multiple revenue streams with subscription, which is, of course, ironically, the original business model and, and kind of going small or going niche or, or finding an audience that really, really loves you rather than trying to be everything to everyone. It was too late. They'd already contorted themselves into a million shapes. So if you were launching a company in 2023, why would you launch it towards what worked in 2015 or 2016. I that just never made sense to me. And what I think we're we're seeing now is it doesn't make sense to the people who work there either. And it seems Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it seems sloppy, doesn't seem consumer focused. In a world, you know, we were talking about Amazon a little bit in the in the previous segment. The more you are for everyone in media, the more you are for no one. That is actually one of the things that the New York Times company confronts on a daily basis now that as they yep. You know, been a company that doesn't just break news on the White House and the Supreme Court, but also the game stuff. And, you know, they now have like bloggers covering severe weather, like things you, you never thought you'd see from the New York Times. They wondered, do they risk losing that? And it's a powerful, powerful thing. And, and I have no disrespect for, for Jimmy Finkelstein. Mad dog. I got some stories. But I just think this is actually a very useful Harvard Business School sort of case study for our industry about what works and what doesn't. And the messenger came into life by quickly acquiring, I think, for probably just operating costs, a company called Grid, which similarly seemed yeah. to enter the world for no purpose other than it, it, it wanted to be there, which is you know a purpose enough. And I wonder what the exit ramp will be for the messenger if you, if you estimate their costs. And I was just kind of doing this with Dylan the other day. I think it's like 80 people, maybe more. They want to have hundreds in their newsroom. Even if they raised $50 million from swell people like Josh Harris, they're probably burning a couple, you know, four million bucks a month. That's a year of runway on its own because it doesn't seem like the company's making a ton of money from display yeah. advertising. So I, I think this will this will get figured out before our very eyes, and we're all going to learn from it. Yeah, you know, I did this when we were talking about Insider uh, maybe last month, but I just like did a little quick search of the Messenger's homepage, what they're posting on Twitter, and it's like. The links here. These are the headlines. Alex Rodriguez to work exclusively for Fox News. Report. U.S. experiences 21,000 stillbirths a year. CDC. Hulk Hogan reveals he had to pay Marvel for 20 years to have rights to his character's name. There's article about Cardi B's new single. Something about Netflix. And it's like, it sort of reminds me a little bit of a tension that began to flare in Ben Smith's book uh, about 
the history of traffic <laughs> and BuzzFeed, which their game was social and not SEO. But, you know, you create BuzzFeed news and it exists inside this larger ecosystem where the ecosystem is putting out listicles and clickbait and things you can share, very shareable things. And you also have a Pulitzer Prize winning newsroom existing inside of it. And I do think Ben and Jonah did a good job until the money ran out, sort of managing the tension between those two things with their newsroom and the journalists and being like, hey, that stuff pays the bills and this stuff over here is important and you guys are kicking ass. I can see that tension popping, especially because I hired a bunch of like reporters who are based in D.C. It's like they're filing stories about like Mike Pence and like small donors contributing to various Republican campaigns and, and stuff that you like might cover for Politico. And then you like. I don't know if they have like a traffic wall in there, but I'm sure the Cardi B stuff <laughs> is outperforming FEC reports on the website. And like, look, that's fine. People are allowed. There's a reason Entertainment Tonight comes on after the nightly news, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or Access Hollywood. Like, you're allowed to like fluffy stuff and serious stuff. No one's saying that. But you just got to be transparent with the reporters and the people you hire that, hey, like, the name of the game here is going to be. Huffington Post style traffic and maybe not scoops and stuff that wins you Pulitzer Prizes. But you just made the point that is applicable to maybe this is, um, you know, obvious, but it is the point of the industry, no matter whether you work in television or entertainment or or the, the journalism side of media, there were bundles that existed comfortably within companies for a very, very long time until they didn't. And until they really, really, really didn't, and these companies had to get smaller and shed things. That's that is the the Liat motif we're seeing, you know, with Disney now. Like it made sense for Disney to have ABC, and now it doesn't anymore. You know, it made sense for Disney to have ESPN, mm-hmm. now it doesn't anymore. And it made sense for the New York Times to have auto and the book review and sports, and and you know, it, it doesn't anymore. So that. You would just wonder why, if you were starting a media company right now, you would try and recreate that bundle that I think users, uh, they now make themselves across multiple brands. But anyway, I, I'm, this, my TED Talk is now over. <laughs> no, I mean, the last thing I'll say, being for everybody and hence for nobody is a is a great way to think about how to, how to think about media these days. And I would say, like, the New York Times is a successful business. The New York Times push alert strategy is the perfect illustration of what you're talking about. I think a lot of us sign up for push alerts from news apps, the ones we pay for, for, you know, literal breaking news updates, like Titanic, submersible found imploded at the bottom of the ocean. That's the kind of thing you want. The New York Times push alerts, it's like one hour you'll get something about like a fight over trans rights at a public library in Tulsa, and then you'll get something about the Women's World Cup, and then you'll get something about climate change. And it's just like, they flood you with a lot of like feature and lifestyle stuff that is not, again, not to use the phrase too much, a core use case of the push alert. And it's just like, I stopped getting the freaking push alerts because like, it's not what a push alert is for. Um, Unless you are a huge New York Times like lifestyle tote bag person, uh, and then maybe it is. Anyway, that is my rant over. John, have a great week, buddy. All right, you too. I'll see you in Slack. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow.
This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.